speak through my words, Lord, and let everything that I say bring glory and honor to your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and worship you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men 
unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his, sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And then the first Peter, chapter 4, just a few verses from verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Many, many years ago, when I was just starting out, I got a job working with uh, an insurance agent in the United States. So I had the privilege of learning a lot about insurance. I've also learned that insurance in the UK is quite different than insurance in the US, but, uh, but it was an interesting time. And one of the things that I noted, and I happen to have my car insurance with the company that I worked for, is that back then, the longer you stayed with the company, the lower your rates were as long as you didn't have an accident. And even then, if you'd been a faithful uh, member of that company, and they even called the people who had their uh, policies members. And so if you were a member of that company, even if you had an accident, it wouldn't automatically raise your insurance. In fact, uh, you used to get three, uh, you know, like three strikes and you're out, three accidents before anything would happen to your insurance. And the idea was that the company valued loyalty. They wanted loyal, long-term members to be part of their company, to take out policies on a consistent basis, uh, and to generate revenue for the company. Man, how things have changed, right? You know, now, if you're like me, you get your annual notice about your, your insurance, it always goes up a little bit, or sometimes a lot of it. And they always have a note. Well, it, it basically says this, although it's more polite than this. It basically says, well, stuff it. If you don't like it, then you just should look around and find somebody else to give you a lower price. There used to be a time when Western companies and Western societies valued loyalty. They valued loyalty. Employees were once evaluated and celebrated 
based on their long service to the company. These days, employees are evaluated based on their support for the company's causes. So if you don't support the cause, you say something bad about it on Facebook, they'll find you out because Big Brother really is watching you, wanting to bring you down. There was a time when consumer loyalty was prized. Uh, if I asked you for a Kleenex, what would you give me? A tissue. You know that, except Kleenex is a brand name. Why do we call it Kleenex? Because Kleenex wanted to garner customer loyalty and have their brand identified with good quality tissues. And that was the way that consumer goods operated. Now, companies don't care. You know, in the past, they valued your loyalty, so they give you great customer service. Now, they don't care about your loyalty, and so who cares if you have to wait three hours before you can talk to somebody online or on your phone? Because they don't care. Once upon a time, we honored people who faithfully served one another in marriage and prized marriages that lasted a lifetime. I often tell the story when Karen and I had our 25th anniversary. We were so excited. Went back home to the church that I grew up in. And that, uh, that Sunday, they were having a special celebration for two couples in the church, one of whom had been married 71 years, and the other had been married 73 years. I resolved at that point that I would never brag again about how long I was married. But we prized that. We celebrated that. Now, we have easy divorce and relationship breakdown. And once upon a time, sex was seen as the cement, the glue, attaching, affirming that union of man and wife in the covenant of marriage. Now it's just recreational activity that you do, and you don't care who gets hurt or how other people are affected. Used to be that once upon a time, people stayed in a church for their whole life, unless, of course, they'd move someplace. Now people shop around and hop from church to church to church, trying to find the church that suits their needs the best. Or now people will get offended. They'll feel offended at the least slightest, the most, the, the slightest offense, and then they'll storm off and leave. Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to be around them anymore. Well, it's no wonder that we have the epidemic of loneliness that we have. There's been a shift. And there's been a shift because we're now living in Babylon, and Babylon does not value loyalty. Babylon doesn't really care about loyalty. In fact, Babylon always tries to pervert and abuse loyalty for its own benefit so that those who decide to remain loyal just become suckers, mistreated by others. And Babylon always will challenge and even belittle your loyalty, especially your ultimate loyalties to your family, God's people, and God whom you worship. I was watching a TV program uh, just this week, and uh, one of the characters in the program said that she was saving herself for sexual activity for marriage. And the other character looked at her like she was from Mars. But that's the common idea, the common understanding. Loyalty, just not valued. And if you have that ultimate loyalty to family, to, to God, the church, then it's belittled and undermined. At the same time, Babylon demands our loyalty. Babylon will belittle your loyalty except your loyalty to it and the things that it holds dear. And ultimately, Babylon doesn't care whether you are loyal to your family, your spouse, whether you're loyal to your God, as long as Babylon has your highest loyalty, as long as Babylon is the focus of your loyalty. You're loyal to Babylon, to its structure, its values, and its beliefs. And as long as you are, you can worship whatever God you want to whether it be the God of Islam or the God of Christianity 
or the non-god of Buddhism or any one of the 30 million gods of Hinduism. It doesn't care as long as you follow its ways and its policies. Now, loyalty, when I use that word, what do I mean? It's a faithful, unwavering support and allegiance to a person or institution where we choose to act in the best interests of that person or institution, even when and especially when things are difficult. So loyalty says when, you're, when your spouse is having a rough time, you draw closer instead of further away. You're looking out for their benefit. And we have to understand, and God prizes loyalty, God calls us to loyalty. Another word for it is often faithfulness. Faithfulness is just loyalty lived out. God calls it, God prizes it, but we need to understand that our loyalty will always be tested. Whether it's your loyalty to your family, it's your loyalty to your church, or it's your loyalty to God, your loyalty will always be tested. In fact, feeling offended at church is a common test of loyalty. If you've ever felt offended, maybe how somebody treated you, maybe what someone said, maybe what I said in a sermon, maybe how somebody disregarded you, if you ever felt offended in the context of God's people, that is a test from God of your loyalty. And it happens to all of us. It happens to me many times and continually happens to me. And you know how you deal with it? You just become unoffendable. See, the thing about offense is you don't have to take it. And if you don't take offense, you won't be offended. But anyway, just, just a side note, just a side note. And not only does God test our loyalty and life tests our loyalty, but Babylon will test our loyalty in many ways because it's a big issue for Babylon. And the primary way that God, that, not God, that Babylon tests our loyalty is through what we call images of gold. Images of gold. Now what happens in the story? In the story you see Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? He sets up an image of gold. It's a common mistake to think that that's a god. It's not. Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold was something that he set up to commemorate some aspect of his leadership, of his government. His image of gold was in some way connected to his leadership of Babylon. Now, we already saw in the last, uh, in the last episode of how insecure Nebuchadnezzar was. That's why he had this disturbing dream, and he needed to get a solution for it. And out of his insecurity, he sets up this image of gold. And then he calls together the Chaldeans. That's all the, the governing officials. Remember, we talked last week. Calls together the Chaldeans and all the people and has a herald announce, hey, everybody, whenever you hear some music going, you need to bow down and worship this image of gold. Now, what they meant was not you got to worship, say, oh, image of gold, we honor you and we glorify you. No, that's not it. He meant that you had to acknowledge that image of gold and honor that image of gold. It's very similar to what uh, the, the regime in North Korea has done. They have set up giant statues of the men who have led North Korea, and whenever you see that statue, it's in its presence, you have to bow to the statue. And it's a way of honoring the statue and acknowledging them as the supreme leader. And if you don't, you die. Quite simple. And so that's what Nebuchadnezzar said. If you don't bow down, you die. And then uh, and everybody said, okay, we got it. Music played, they all bowed down. Except some of the Chaldeans, they didn't like the Jewish guys. Uh, you know, what else is new? God's people are never liked, no matter what society they're in, right? Unless they're in Israel, but we're not in Israel anymore. So God's people aren't liked. So these Chaldeans, these officials, these middle management or the, the, the civil service guys, they say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, didn't you say that people have to bow down? And he says, yeah, that's what I said. 
said, well, these Jewish guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who actually took our place, and we really like to be promoted, but that's another story. These guys, they don't bow down. They don't do what you told them to do, and they're not worshiping your gods. Now notice how they've taken and distorted Nebuchadnezzar's command. Don't worship your gods, and they're disrespecting you. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, bring them here. That really ticks me off. So they come, and he says, okay, guys, I heard this, but listen, I like you guys. You know, you Jewish guys, you're pretty good. You work hard. You're honest. I can trust you. So, hey, just do me this one little favor. Bow down to the, the, the idol, uh, not the idol, the golden image, when I play this music, and hey, it's all good. We're good. And the guy said, well, you know, we don't have to wait for you to play the music because we're going to face the music because we can't do that. And Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he is so angry, his face changes. I mean, it's in a rage. He says, really make this thing hot. I mean, he's really ticked off at how badly he's been disrespected here. And uh, he says, now, throw them in this super hot fiery furnace. It was so hot that just by escorting them to the door to throw them in, all the other guys died. And then, after a couple minutes, when he was hoping they're crispy critters, he looks in and says, hey, wait, didn't we put three guys there? And the Chaldean said, yeah, three. Well, no, there's four. And the guys, they're, they're walking around. They're not bound any longer. Boy, hey, he probably didn't say that. That's a Jewish thing. But uh, he was appraised. And then finally he said, come on out, guys. So they came out, and he said, wow, okay, your God really is the right God. Hey, you get a promotion. Pretty decent story there. Uh, unless you were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the other side of that furnace. Then I'm not sure how we would quite feel. But we learned some very important things about Babylon, uh, yet again, and how we live in Babylon in this passage. First of all, we learned that in Babylon, images of gold have supreme significance. Sometimes those images of gold are, are clear, you know, very clear what they are. Sometimes they're metaphors, but images of gold are very important. And remember, images of gold are not the same thing as false gods and false idols. It's a different issue. The, an image of gold is usually something that represents perhaps an aspect of our humanity, such as our sexuality. There's a lot of images of gold right now in our society around human sexuality. Or it might be something that's connected with our human efforts and endeavors, something from science perhaps. Or it might be something related to our human ideals, such as honor, love, or fairness. That's a big one in the UK, uh, as defined by the society. Or an image of gold might be related to our human achievements or our prosperity, such as the single market in the EU. Or an image of gold might be our human interaction with the natural world around us such as climate change and net zero. No matter what it is, every society, every Babylon will set up multiple images of gold. And you can tell it's an image of gold because images of gold are always very visible and public. If you want to find an image of gold, pick up newspapers and find out what the newspapers are focusing on because I bet you you'll see the images of gold that start to come out. Look for the common themes. And you'll see these images of gold emerge. Now, images of gold are made to look good. They're made to look appealing. They're made to look attractive. After all, they're gold, even if they're not. For example, the sexual revolution was a big image of gold some time ago. And yet, as studies have shown, the sexual revolution has not been good for women. It looked good, but it's actually led to more abuse of women, not less, and more bondage for women, not less. Um, oftentimes, these images of gold, they're visible, they're public. They represent the mark of what is considered socially good and valuable. Home ownership is another image of gold. It's put up as one of the solutions for our society's issues. And if everybody owned their own home, wouldn't we all be happy? 
wouldn't we all be well off? Wouldn't our nation be where it needs to be? Uh, sometimes the images of gold may involve something that is genuinely good or beneficial. Probably the biggest image of gold in our society is the NHS. And I love the NHS. I thank God for the NHS. But it's certainly an image of gold. Now these images of gold become evil when they demand our loyalty, especially our highest loyalty. When you get to the point where you can't discuss the NHS or you can't discuss human sexuality without being shouted down by someone, you know you've got a problem there. Or they become evil when they become the standard by which people are evaluated. When things like your opinion on human sexuality determines whether you're good or evil, not your actual practices. Or they become evil when they challenge God's place in our lives. The images of gold often seem good, but they often have very subtle and deeper implications. For example, let's take the NHS. Again, I love the NHS. I thank God for the NHS. But think of this mindset. Well, I trust the NHS for my health care, which means that I don't really need to take personal responsibility for my health care. Because after all, the NHS will be there if I have a health problem. And it also means that I don't need to seek God first when I'm ill. So the NHS is bigger than God. We never think about that. But when was the last time you got sick and your first thought was, oh, God, deliver me, not, oh, I better call at 755 my GP tomorrow to try to get an emergency appointment. That's the subtle implication of these images of gold and how they worm their way into our lives. And over time, it doesn't depend on who sets it up. The images of gold start to take on a life of their own in our society. So images of gold are very important for Babylon. We also learn a second thing, that in Babylon, leaders are the ones who set up the images of gold primarily to support their own leadership. They set up the images of gold for their own advantages. And that includes, by the way, leaders in every area of life, not just in government. The images of gold often will represent that leader's achievements or what the leader sees as most important for society. Notice how every politician in the last 20 years has talked about doing something positive for the NHS. It's like, this, this, ha this is how you evaluate me on the basis of this image of gold that's out there. And then once a leader sets up an image of gold, the leader then gives that image disproportionate influence or importance in their leadership to the extent that they often miss or ignore other issues which are more important or more significant. Here's a case. Take the SNP in Scotland. What's their image of gold? It's independence. Independence is the big Scottish SNP image of gold. And over the last number decade or so, the SNP has talked about improving health care improving education, narrowing the education gap, improving policing. But on almost every single measure, healthcare in Scotland, education in Scotland, and policing in Scotland have grown worse over the last decade rather than better. But that's okay as long as we promote our image of gold. And if you don't buy into our image of gold, you can't be part of us. You can't be one of us. If you have questions about our image of gold, you're in trouble. When leaders set up their images of gold, they demand that people bow down, submit to them, show reverence to them. Every single time. Every single time. Especially if you are anyone with any kind of public leadership, such as the officials that were mentioned, the Chaldeans here in chapter 3. 
Now, bowing down, in this case, includes your vocal support and your positive affirmation. It's not, okay, well, you go ahead and pursue your image of gold, uh, and I'll let you do that. No, it's, no, you need to affirm that my image of gold is of ultimate value, and you need to honor and reverence that image of gold. Otherwise, I'm going to get rid of you. Otherwise, I cannot tolerate you. You see that with the issues around human sexuality, the transgender ideology that's going there. You see it all over the place when you open up your eyes to it. And bowing down, this vocal support and positive affirmation includes your personal life, places like social media. And these images of gold are often reinforced by entertainment, just like with the music. Just think again about how entertainment promotes sex outside of marriage and how you should just be able to walk away quite easily from a marriage with very few consequences. And so these leaders, once they set up their image of gold, they will set up loyalty tests and harsh punishments for those who disrespect the image. For Nebuchadnezzar, this was bowing down in the fiery furnace. Today, it might be social media approval, being dismissed from your job, losing your license to practice, being debanked because you don't quite go along with the ideas that are happening there. Any perceived disrespect or failure to bow down to that image of gold will always lead to irrational anger and hatred. Always. Whenever you see anger or hatred being poured out on social media, you know there's an image of gold involved. Doesn't matter what side of the political aisle somebody is on. You can be Tory, you can be Lib Dem, you can be Labor, doesn't matter. You can be uh, Democrat, you can be Republican. It absolutely does not matter. When you see the hatred coming out, the anger coming out, the attacks against, attacks against people, the death threats, you know that an image of gold is involved. And you know that the people involved in that are following that image of gold. And the leaders, uh, the people will have this anger, and they won't care about the consequences. And there will always be unintended consequences. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's army guys died. There are always consequences when you get to the place where images of gold are provoking that level of anger and hatred. And leaders in that context will often use fear to try to weaken our resolve as Christians, just like Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, who's going to deliver you out of my hand? And now, what makes it worse, oh, and just to give you some examples here of leaders that are setting up images of gold, I mentioned the SMP, that's Scottish independence, their transgender ideology that was there. The UK government, that's net zero, and the NHS. I'm not saying net zero is wrong. Not saying it's right, but I am saying it's an image of gold. And the mayor is going to set up a number of images around the outer boroughs that have that are spelled U-L-E-Z. That's an image of gold. And you can see it. The way you can't even discuss it without be, being labeled somebody that wants people, young children, to die because of bad air quality. Uh, you have global reserve banks. 2% inflation, that's an image of gold. That everybody should have positive growth all the time, that's an image of gold. The EU has its single currency and the common market. Those are images of gold. There's many others. Housing, I mentioned earlier. Electric cars, even though they're proving to be highly polluting, they've become an image of gold, so you can't question them, you can't challenge them. Uh, Brexit was an image of gold. MAGA with Trump, make America great again, was an image of gold. Uh, LGBTQ, ideology, abortion, feminism, all of these have been images of gold. And saying it's an image of gold, again, is not passing a judgment whether it's right or wrong. It's just saying it's been elevated to the place where even if it's right, it's probably wrong. And we need to beware. The third thing we learn here not only are there leaders setting up these images of gold, but in Babylon, 
malicious people will attack and subvert God's people using the images of gold as a pretext, but it's never about the images of gold. So when you got Babylon, you got images of gold, there will always be people who try to set traps, who try to undermine and attack the people of God using that image of gold. It's an, under, an opportunity to try to bring down God's people and bring down God's kingdom. Now remember, the, the Chaldeans were the civil servants, as we mentioned, the middle management. They represented all the different people there in verse 3. And the Chaldeans' chief focus of attack were the Jews in leadership. That was their focus. Even as today, the Chaldeans' chief focus of attack will be any Christian in leadership, including Christians in church leadership. You see that right now in the Church of England in a very big way. The Chaldeans' chief weapon is accusation. They say, well, those, these Christians, they disregard the leader. They disregard our government. They disregard our society. They disregard their boss. These Christians, oh, they don't share the leader's ultimate loyalty. No, they don't. They're, they're not on the same planet. They're not looking for the same thing. They're not working in the same way. These Christians, they do not respect or affirm this image of gold. In fact, they're against it. They're going to try to undermine it at every opportunity. And these Christians are thus a danger to society. And you always see the accusations flow through that way. They attack. And the Chaldeans' chief strategy in this is to trap Christian leaders and expose them. And I felt that myself. You know, I've shared the story about how I've had people from various backgrounds and positions that may be different to what we hold that will come into that it come into City Temple and say, hey, can I meet with you? And I say, sure. And they'll say, you know, I really love the church. I love what you guys do, but I'm this. And they'll come out as something that's different from, you know, maybe they'll say I'm an atheist or, you know, put in whatever you want to there. And I say, would I be welcome in your church? It's a trap. What do I say? I say, yeah, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome. Don't care what background you're from. Don't care what your beliefs are. Don't care, you know, what your basic practices are. Everybody's welcome. But understand that as a church, we believe that the Bible is God's word. And that, you know, the Bible, according to God's word, your choices are not in line with God's will. But you are very much welcome with us. Uh, and, uh, and as long as you don't try to promote an agenda with us or disrupt us, we'd love to have you. And you have to be careful because that is happening all the time. So now that's all pretty heavy. Okay, everybody go, oh, oh. Okay, that's all, that's pretty intense, okay? Ooh, let's shake it off, shake it off. Okay, I'm feeling much less intense now. Oh, oh, I could feel the heaviness in the room. So I needed, let's lift the heaviness, you know? Let's, oh, we're picking it up, pick it up. Lift the heaviness, okay, it's gone. All right, because in Babylon, yes, God's people will have their loyalties tested by the images of gold, but God will enable us to stand the test. You never have to fail the test. Now, you will take it until you pass. You know, that's the good news, bad news with God. With God, you never fail a test, but the bad news is you'll take it until you pass. So my resolution is, God, let me pass the test the first time. Right? Because tests hurt. And actually, every time you take them, they hurt more. So you want to get it done first. As little pain as possible. But that's the good news. Our loyalty to God will be tested. Our loyalty to God's people will be tested. We'll be tested with fiery trials, according to Peter, and the furnace of affliction. We will be tested. And, okay, we can never be sure the outcome of those tests. Sometimes we live, sometimes we die. I won't sugarcoat it. 
There's not much death now in this Babylon, but I don't know. I don't know what's coming down. Sometimes we live, sometimes we die, but we can pass the test, and God will see us through. And God has provided a way for us to pass these loyalty tests. We can do it. We can do it. First, we need to prepare ourselves to maintain our loyalty. This is what Peter is telling us here. He says, we need to expect fiery trials to come. And when they do come, nothing's wrong with you. Expect they're going to happen. You're going to face fiery trials. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face problems with these images of gold. When it happens, say, oh, yeah, I was expecting that. The best way is to prepare you. I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me to talk about this without thinking about Monty Python. And I don't know if you've seen the old Monty Python, but one of my favorite sketches in Monty Python was, you know, there, two guys are talking and one guy says, you know, I never expected the Spanish Inquisition. And then suddenly a, a cardinal in a robe jumps out and he says, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapons are fear and surprise, and goes on. And so that's always in my mind when I'm talking about these tests, so I, I'm sorry. you know. But you need to expect the Spanish Inquisition. So when it comes, you're ready. And you need to keep rejoicing in Jesus even when you share his suffering. Set your mind, I'm going to rejoice in Jesus every day. No matter how I feel, whether I'm good or bad, I'm rejoicing in Jesus. I'm going to keep it up. And I'm going to repent quickly because I don't want to suffer because of sin. And a lot of Christians suffer, and I've seen this over the years, a lot of Christians blame Satan for their suffering when they really need to look inside us because of their own sinfulness that they haven't dealt with. And so you repent and keep on repenting and resolve to continue doing good no matter what. That's how you prepare yourself. Do good, keep on doing it. And then... When you face the trial, you can maintain your loyalty in the fire of opposition. This is what Daniel shows us. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed us. It begins, when you face it, with a radical trust in God. Notice where they start. They say, our God whom we serve. Whom we serve. And frankly, if you're not living for Jesus, you're not living. If you're not living for Jesus in that moment, you're not living. Keep on serving the Lord. And then they say, our God is able to deliver us out of your hand. They're saying, you guys, you don't have control over us. God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign in our lives. Our God is able. And he will deliver us or we'll die. And either outcome is okay. Either outcome is okay. Sorry for that. I'm back on. I remember back, this would have been uh, about 1989, 1990, uh, Karen and I were going to Haiti to do some ministry. And uh, we're preparing to go, and I'm praying, and a voice speaks to me and says, Rod, if you go to Haiti, you will die there. Okay, that's nice. Uh, and so I was praying again. And the next day, Rod, if you go to Haiti, you will die there. Okay. Third day, Rod, if you go to Haiti, you will die there. And I said, well, Lord, if this is you or not, it doesn't matter. You want me to go to Haiti. And so whether I live or die, it's okay. I did not die. I did not die in the way maybe that statement says, but I did die to myself. I was willing to lay down my life. And every day is like that. Every day until Jesus calls me home because I know he will deliver us. So we have to have radical trust in God. And we have to be willing to set aside the wrongful commands. There are just certain things that we cannot do. I will not call a woman a man or a man a woman. 
I will not do that. If I die, I will not do that. We have to set it and say, I don't care what the command is. I'm not going to do it. If you deport me, okay. If you kill me, okay. If you put me in prison, okay. But I will set aside that command because it's wrong. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing being disrespectful because that's dangerous. Don't get killed because of your disrespect. If you're going to get killed, killed because you did the right thing. Got it? So set aside the wrongful command and then take a public stand with respect and refuse to be moved. You just make the stand. As Martin Luther said when he was tried and, and uh, challenged, he said, here I stand. I can do no other. Here I stand. And if you stand planted in Jesus, you shall not be moved. If you're planted in your own will, your own ideas, then you're out of luck. So take a public stand and yield up your body, your whole self, all your resources, rather than serve any other God. So that's how you endure. When the trial comes, when it comes, radically trust in God. Set aside the wrongful command. Take your public stand with respect and honor. Don't die because of your disrespect. Foolish. With respect and honor, but take the stand and be willing to yield up your body, your whole self, all your resources, rather than serve any other God. And no matter what, the promises that we see fulfilled in this passage, no matter what, Jesus unbinds us and sets us free. They were thrown in the fire and bind, and, and bounded. They were set free in the fire. They weren't set free after the fire. They were set free in the fire. No matter what, Jesus unbinds us and sets us free. No matter what, Jesus stands with us in the fire. That was Jesus in that fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was the pre-incarnate Jesus, but that was Jesus nonetheless. He was there. Jesus stands with us in the fire. And Jesus protects us and preserves us through the fire, whether we live or die. I've been through fires in my own life I thought were going to kill me. There have been times when I asked God to kill me. But God's brought me through. He's brought me through. And he will all of us. That's a promise for all of us if we prepare ourselves and if we follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if we stand that test of loyalty, if we stand, we also know some other things will happen. Even non-Christians will acknowledge and praise God because of it. Even those who are not supporting us will say there's something going on there. That person has something. There must be a God for the way they stood. If we stand that test of loyalty, people will be forced to honor God. They'll be forced to acknowledge God because what we do will be done in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It will not be done in our own strength. And I think the promise is if we stand that test of loyalty, it will lead to our promotion in some way. Now, I'm not saying you're going to become prime minister or the CEO of your company, the managing director, or even the next layer of boss. But I am saying that God has a way of promoting his people as they stand that test of loyalty. Our Babylonian society right now is raising images of gold as an affront to God in Jesus Christ. And our society right now is filled with at least a dozen significant images of gold that leaders have raised up. Some were leaders long ago, but they're still alive. Some were leaders more recently. They're still going, but they're here. And we need to remain loyal to Jesus and to each other no matter what. Notice how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't turn on each other. They didn't step out. One didn't step out of the fire so the other two could burn. 
They stood together. And when we go through a fiery trial, when you go through a fiery trial as a test of your loyalty to Jesus and to each other, it is a confirmation that the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. When you go through it, it's a confirmation that you're walking with Jesus. It's a hard one, but it's there. You know, frankly, we're in a time, as Peter says, where judgment has begun with the house of God. The judgment in the sense that God is testing and refining our loyalty to him and to him alone. Because God knows that that's the only way his people are going to thrive, going to flourish in Babylon. So may we remain faithful to Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God.